ever noticed that there's so many things that tempt us? There are so many things that tempt us in the days that we're living in. You see, you can be tempted by what you see. Literally, you can, you can go to the grocery store and without even just turning ahead, there's, there's these magazines and they have things on it that just catch our eyes. Or, or for, for example, you might be tempted by what you hear with your ears, whether it's gossip or, it's, or, or we call it fellowship as Christians or whatever it may be. But um, there's all sorts of things that we're tempted to either to listen to what we hear or to engage in that or we're tempted by what we taste with our mouth or, or we're tempted by what we, what we feel is best for our body in, in terms of satisfaction and we're tempted by what we smell when, with our noses. You know, maybe you're on a diet and you're not supposed to eat certain things but you smell that thing and you're like, and you, you get tempted and you end up getting into it and eating it in the whole nine yards and so forth. And these tests or these temptations that we face daily, especially when we're tempted by the devil, is to entice us. Everyone say entice. He wants to entice us in terms of seeking to live a sinful lifestyle. And the enemy who comes in like a roaring lion seeks whom he may devour and tempt us in three areas of our life. There's three areas that the devil is going to constantly try to tempt us in, and that is the lust of the flesh. Maybe you've heard that word before, or or the lust of the eyes and, and the pride of life. And 1 John 2, 15 through 16 even reminds us of what happens when we follow the ways of the world. It says this in 1 John 2, 15 through 16. It says, do not love the world. Listen to me this morning, friends, or the things in the, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, here's one thing you have to understand. Now, after the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan by John the Baptist, Jesus was led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God led him to the wilderness, to the desert, as some gospels say, and he fasted there for 40 days, for 40 days. Now, how many of you have ever been to Palm Springs or uh, Joshua National Park or the high desert, which my wife and I and our family used to live in Lancaster and so forth? If you've been in the desert, you know that the desert can be very hot during the summer days and very cold during the, the winter nights and so forth. And I know that because there was times in Lancaster, it was like 118. And then there was times where the low was like, you know, in the wintertime was like nine degrees and so forth. And so the desert can be a place that's very hot and very cold. And, and, and uh, Jesus possibly, while he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, you know, he didn't have, um, you know, um, lip balm or anything like that. He didn't have SPF 50 or anything like that. So think about Jesus in those times. He probably had parched lips, possibly. He probably was famished, no doubt, and he was in a state of vulnerability. He was in a state of vulnerability, especially being alone in the desert for so long. And the book of Mark even tells us that he was among the wild animals. He was among the wild animals. And sometimes we feel like that. We feel like we're surrounded by wild animals uh, where we work or, or where we live or in our state or something like that. So we have a little bit of an of a understanding of what Jesus said when he was surrounded among wild animals. But centuries earlier, God led the people of Israel through the Sinai wilderness, through the Sinai desert, where they faced a lot of tests and they failed them, unfortunately. They fell them miserably, and as soon as Jesus, the man representing this new Israel, comes on the scene, he's going to face some tests in the desert. He's going to face some temptations as well. But he didn't fail, but rather he triumphed. But, but how did he triumph? How did, how did he succeed where the people of Israel back in the Old Testament failed? We're going, to, we're going to discover that as we read about this situation that Jesus experienced as he confronts and defeats the devil and the tactics of the enemy found in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. 
So if you're able to, church, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And we're going to read it up on the screen, and it's going to be, you know, short. We're going to go each verse by verse. But let's read this out loud together, and I'll try to slow down so that we're all on the same page. Amen? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said. If you will kneel down and worship me, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against you. And may there be nuggets of truth that we can go from this place and apply in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, friends. Now, there's no doubt that, as I said earlier, Jesus went from being baptized in, in the Jordan and, and so forth that, that he was spiritually strong. I mean, think about it, too. On top of that, he fasted for 40 days and, and experienced just an incredible strength in his, in his inner spirit. But on the outer spirit, he may have not looked that well. But then on top of that, being baptized, that was the place where the Spirit of God descended upon him. And he heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then, like I said, he fasted for 40 days. Talk about being spiritually strong. Talk about being on a spiritual high. But friends, anytime you feel spiritually strong, the devil will try and come and deflate you spiritually. He'll try to defeat you. He'll try to make you feel weak. He'll, he'll try to have you experience a spiritual drought. Have, have you ever experienced that sometime in your life where maybe you went on a, a missions trip or you went on a camp and, man, you felt so strong in the Lord. You were loving his word. You were praying and then you came back and someone lo- died or something happened or your parents said they were going to get a divorce or something took you know, place or, or you came to the altar or you came to a service and God did so many things and then the next day you got this bill saying you're going to get evicted or, or who knows? what we've all been there we've all experienced those moments where we feel spiritually strong we feel like God's done something in our hearts and our lives and then all of a sudden we're we get bad news or or we experience all sorts of circumstances or situations as a matter of fact a friend of mine said hey pastor I just want to see how you're doing because I know after doing a men's conference like you did the enemy is is not going to sit back how are you doing and I said well brother you know what one of the things you can do is pray for some of my kids because they've been getting sick lately and then I said, one of my staff pastors has been diagnosed with this. And he said, uh-huh, I knew in my spirit the Lord wanted me to text you. Because I know anytime you do something that significant for the kingdom of God, the devil's not going to sit back. He's going to go after you. He's going he's to try to deflate you and defeat you and discourage you. And Satan knew that this was a strategic time to go after Jesus, to strike him. And so when Jesus goes to Jesus, or when Satan goes to Jesus, he's not timid. He's not frail. He's not tiptoeing around to get to Jesus, but rather he's bold, he's cunning, he's sneaky, just like he was with Adam and Eve 
in the Garden of Eden. So the devil comes to tempt him, and he knows that Jesus is no doubt hungry. It's been 40 days since he's, since he's had a tortilla, you know, or whatever it may have been, that he was, he was definitely hungry. So Satan tempts Jesus, and he tempts, he, he tempts us today with, with our fleshly desires. The same way that he, he tempted Jesus in that moment, he does with us. And the devil feeds off of our natural desires. Have you ever noticed that? He feeds off of our natural desires. And what people, what do people usually desire? We want to be in control. We want power. We want, we want success. We want to be accepted. Uh, we want to experience pleasure. We want to experience satisfaction. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on as far as what we desire. There's no doubt about that. And you see, friends, there's no difference between the then and there that we read about to where we're at in the here and now. And this is, this is the thing that I want you to write down this morning, if you'd like to, in your notes. The devil wants us to depend more on ourselves than on God. The devil wants you and I to depend more on ourselves than on God. You see, the first test was all about making Jesus more dependent on himself than in God the Father. You see, Satan figured, hey, listen, God hadn't helped you out for 40 days. He, you've been all alone. You've been in, surrounded by wild animals, you know. If he hasn't helped you out, maybe you can do a better job than he can. And he tries to do the same thing in our hearts and our minds when it comes to our finances, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to all sorts of things. He feeds us these lies, and Satan tries to expose. He needed to prove that, that he was the son of God by just showing Satan a sign. Just turn these stones into bread, a sign that you can do it on your own. You see, friends, I want you to understand this morning what, what did Jesus say when the devil challenged his authority? By asking him to turn those stones into bread, which appeals to the lust of the eyes. Since he was no doubt hungry. Look at verse 4. It says, when Jesus told him, but what did Jesus say? He said, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, church, Jesus wants us to realize that as his followers and as Christians, that being a Christian is more than just getting a ticket to spend eternity in heaven. It's more than just that, friends. If, that, if that's why we're Christians, it's just so we can get a ticket to go to heaven, we're missing the mark, friends. I want you to understand this morning that it's all about allowing the kingdom of heaven to come and to live in us as his disciples. And as the kingdom of heaven begins to live within us, others will be appealed to that. Others will want to, they'll be attracted to that. Because the word of God says that, that when we follow the ways of God's word rather than the ways of this world, there's a difference between who we are and what they are. And Jesus chooses to focus on God's promises and God's purpose more than his hunger. Have you experienced hunger pains in this room? Maybe it was on a, on a fast that you were on, or maybe it was an intermittent fast, or maybe you forgot to eat breakfast and you're, you're at, the, at the cooler or whatever it may be, and you're like, oh, i got to wait another two or three hours, and your stomach starts talking to you. It starts growling at you and feed me and all these other things. But Jesus chose to focus on God's purpose more than his pain. He chose to depend on God and his word more than that momentary satisfaction. That's all I need, the Rolling Stones say, is satisfaction. You see, friends, when Jesus overcame the first temptation, that should remind us of this, that the smallest crust from God's word is better than the lavish landscape of sin. Did you hear what I'm saying this morning? The smallest crust from God's word is better than the lavish landscape of sin. Because all he had to do was turn those stones into bread. Even though the bread represented a physical need of hunger, Jesus defeated the lust of the flesh by focusing, by meditating, and hanging on to the word of God. You see, Satan's problem was that he looked at the outer appearance of Jesus. And that's what we do. We look at the outer appearance of man. But there's something that was working within the inner side of, of Jesus, the inner man of Jesus. 
And, he, and Satan didn't realize that, or he forgot that, hey, this guy had been fasting for 40 days, and he didn't realize the strength Jesus grew in on the inside during those 40 days of fasting and praying and spending time with God and so forth. And Jesus, dependent on God's word, shows how high of a view he looked at this book as his authority. This is, this is our authority right here, friends. We don't look at what man says or what, what's popular or what's, the, what's in. This is where the buck stops, right here. This is the ultimate authority, the word of God, amen? As, as, and, and the thing is this, as he even quoted scripture from Deuteronomy, which is the book where Israel's failed test happened while they were in the, the wilderness. He was like, he was reminding the enemy, hey, yeah, I know what you're trying to do, and I know that the people of Israel failed in the desert, but now that I'm in this desert, I want you to know that the authority that I have is found in the word of God, because he kept going back to the word, and that's what we have to do in the days we're living in. We have to go to the word. The word is, is our guidepost and so forth. Now, secondly, the devil realized, well, I, I lost that battle. So he came up with a new strategy in his mind. He, he decided, I got to change the scenery from where we're at. So, so he took him to a place where his, his pride possibly could be built up. Now, there's nothing wrong with having, there's positive pride and there's negative pride, you know. Having pride for your country, having pride for your, your family or, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. But this was not the kind of pride that he was trying to develop in the heart of Jesus or in the mind of Jesus. And the enemy will use any means necessary to accomplish the goals that he has where he wants us to be built up in our pride. And one way he tries to make us focus more on ourselves than on what we, what, what we really need is this. The devil wants us to doubt that God really cares for us. He wants you to doubt that God really cares for you. And there's moments in our lives that we've all experienced at some time or another. And let me tell you something, friends. Doubt causes people to focus on two words. Doubt will always cause people to focus on two words. You know what they are? Will or would. Will or would. Have you ever said this? Will God provide for me? Have you ever said this, will God protect us? Have you ever said, will God see us through this difficult trial, this tribulation, or this hardship? Have you ever said, would God heal me? Have you ever said, would God restore my relationship with my kids or with my spouse or whatever? You see, will and would are producers of doubt. And doubt causes you to do one thing. And you know what it causes you to do? It causes you to become insecure. It causes you to become insecure in God and also in yourself. That's what doubt will do. It will cause you to become insecure in God and yourself, and it causes you to run in the flesh rather than the spirit. Because we end up doing things that we wouldn't do if we truly trusted God or we were secure in the B-I-B-L-E. That's what doubt does. And doubt will feed off your emotions. Doubt will feed off of your mental health. And this is where Satan wants you to focus. This is where, this is where Satan wants to focus on Jesus in that moment. And so Satan took Jesus to the top of the, the temple, the pinnacle, 450 feet up in the air. And the temple was the center of religious activity. It was a busy place with lots of action going on. And here's the thing, friends. The religious leaders were there. The religious leaders were there. And if he would have jumped, everyone of importance would have seen him jump. Everyone. With one jump. Everyone say one jump. With one jump, he could have won over his critics. Did you know that we all have critics? There's people who don't like what you do, what you say, or how you live, or what you stand for. You could have won them over with one jump. He would have won over his skeptics. He would have won over his doubters. He would have won over his haters. He would have avoided conflict. He would have avoided persecution. He would have avoided frustration. He would have avoided pain with the religious establishment if all he did was jump. That's all he had to do. 
But Jesus knew he did not come to be served by the world, but rather he knew that his purpose was here to serve the world. He knew his destiny was not going to be written on the top of a temple. He knew that his destiny was going to be written at the lowest point on Golgotha's cross. Jesus knew the truth. He knew his father not only cared for him, but he also knew that his father cares for you. He cares for you in your circumstance. But notice the words that Satan used against Jesus. If, if. If you are the son of God, if you really believe God will take care of you, let him prove it. If, that's another word in that doubting dictionary. And Jesus responded to the devil's test by reminding of what the word of God says. He said, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. You see, the pride of life always causes someone to doubt. That's the pride of life because what you realize is, well, God can't care for me. God's not going to take care of this situation, so I got to take care of it myself. I got to do it my way. The spirit of Frank Sinatra falls on you in that moment of what you're dealing with and what you're going through. You see, doubt, you doubt God's care for your life. The pride of life causes one to say to God this phrase, God, if you really care about me, prove it, and then I'll follow you. Have you ever said that before? Have some, have, has someone that you've ever tried to minister say that to you before? It, it, God, if you really care about me, prove it, and then I'll follow you. When we choose to do things our way instead of God's way, we're basically telling God that we're not responsible to him, but rather we're going to be responsible to ourselves. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture today. Everybody wants to be in control. They want to be responsible instead of being obedient to God. They want to be obedient to themselves. You see, when Jesus overcame the second temptation, that should remind us of this if you want to write it down. Temptation is more than just a test of your self-control. Temptation is more than a test of our self-control. It's a test of our trust in God. That's what it's about. Jesus chose to focus more on God's plan than his pride. He understood this test was calling God's care for him into question. And the challenge from Satan, if accepted by Jesus, would cause his faith and it would cause his relationship in God the Father to die. It would demonstrate that Jesus always needed proof from God in order to trust in him. And we shouldn't be like that, friends. We shouldn't be like that. In your moment of temptation and testing, you're going to discover who you are and you're going to discover whose you really are. You're going to discover whose you really are. Jesus didn't establish God's kingdom with force. But rather, he chose to walk the path of self-control. He chose to humble himself upon God the Father. And he, cho- he chooses to trust in God more than what this world has to offer. And Jesus defeated the pride of life by coming to an understanding that he is only responsible to God and no one else. He came to an understanding that my responsibility is to God and no one else in that moment. You see, we know that the Satan is the God of the world. And that we, that we give into what our eyes simply desire, and it's called the lust of the eyes. And, and now Satan's offering Jesus this new temptation of power and authority and success. And all he had to do was, okay, so he didn't jump. Well, okay, if I can't get him to jump, maybe he's afraid of heights. Maybe I can just get him to bow. Just bow a knee. One simple thing. And so basically what happens is he wants him to bow his knee and to worship him. He, Satan was psychologically trying to manipulate and control Jesus. In that moment, friends. And he wants to do the same thing with us. But that is this. And, and here's the point I want you to understand. The devil wants us to take shortcuts rather than developing our character. We all love shortcuts. We all be able to shave off a couple of minutes here or there, whatever it is that we're dealing with. But the devil wants us to take shortcuts rather than develop our character. You see, so many people like easy solutions. 
So many people in our culture want quick power. They want equality, especially the need to be equal with God. Why? Because we are not a patient society. Let me ask you, are you a patient person? Some of us aren't. I know I'm not. I know we all deal with that. And, and even though Satan knew that God had promised Jesus the kingdoms in the future, Satan was tempting him that he could have them now. He wouldn't have to wait. Think about this, friends. If Jesus, if Jesus could have those kingdoms now, then guess what, friends? If he would have just bowed the knee and worshiped Satan just for maybe five, ten seconds, just, just think about it. He would, have ha- he would have not had to face the cross in the future. He would have not had to gone through that. The plea was simple. All you have to do, Jesus, is turn your back on God the Father for a moment. Bow and receive and have the kingdoms now. One plus one equals two. Very easy. Very simple. And that's exactly the way sin is. It's very simple. It's very easy. But it entices us and destroys us. But when Jesus overcame that third temptation, that should remind us that we shouldn't trade what's important for what's immediate. We shouldn't trade what's important for what's immediate. You see, Jesus realized what was more important than the immediate. It was doing the will of his Father. That's what it was all about in that moment. There will be times in your temptation or in my temptation or in our test that will cause us to want to take a shortcut when it comes to our character and to focus more on our reputation. That's what will happen in those moments. But our our focus for moving forward and for making progress happens through the image of God in us rather than the reputation of our lives or through our power or through our strength. There was a gentleman by the name of um, William Hershey Davis who, who wrote a, a, a thing about the difference between character and reputation. I want to read this to you. The circumstances amid which you live determines your reputation. The truth you believe determines your character. Reputation is what you are supposed to be. Character is what you are. Reputation is the photograph. Character is the face. Reputation comes from one from without. Character grows up from within. Reputation is what you have when you come to a new community. Character is what you have when you go away. Your reputation is learned in an hour. Your character does not come to a light for a year. Reputation is made in a moment. Character is built in a lifetime. Reputation grows like a mushroom. Character grows like the oak. A single newspaper report gives you your reputation. A life of toil gives you your character. Reputation makes you rich or makes you poor. Character makes you happy or makes you miserable. Reputation is what men say about you on your tombstone. Character is what angels say about you before the throne of God. Are you living a life of reputation or are you living a life of character? You see, friends, I want you to understand something. Jesus realized what was more important to him than anything else during those 40 days. And all that Satan was trying to tempt him with. He realized in that moment that my priority is to have an unbroken fellowship with God the Father. That's what it was all about. Jesus focused more on who God was rather than on what he desired. Temptations often become there. Temptations often happen because there's a real need and there's, there's a possible doubt that creates that need and, and, and an appropriate desire. But Jesus used the word, the word of God, to demonstrate both the importance and the effectiveness of knowing and applying scripture when it came to his trials, when it came to his tests, and when it came to his temptations. Jesus defeated the lust of the eyes by acknowledging who is Lord over his life, over every part of his life. 
He chooses the truth by bowing only to worship God and not the lies by bowing to the worship of the devil. He knew he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He realized he was approved by God the Father to do what he called him to do on this earth. But even though he felt alone in the desert, he still trusted in God. He still stayed the course. He still did the will of his Father. And after all that, the devil left. And then God's angels came afterwards and took care of him. As the worship team comes up at this time, I want you to understand that instead of disobeying God, Jesus chooses to remain obedient to the the word of God. And there will be times that we will be tested or tempted to, to do all sorts of things. But always remember, your convictions and your character are only strong if they're held up under pressure. Under pressure. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this holy moment. And I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning in this sacred moment that we have together. What are you depending more on today? What are you depending more in yourself right now than in trusting and depending on God? Is there something God is is challenging you to exchange so that you will depend on him more than, than you depend on yourself or the things this world has to offer? Maybe there's a dependence issue that you're dealing with right now. You've been trying to be in control. You've been trying to figure out. You've been trying to make sure that that the ship doesn't go down. Wherever it may be, whether it's in your work, whether it's in your home, whether it's in the church. I don't know what it may be. But friends, I want you to understand something. Where are you when it comes to this dependence level on a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being the highest? You might honestly say, you know, Pastor, with this circumstance, this situation, I've been trying to be in control. I haven't trusted the Lord. Secondly, are you dealing with the test of your patience right now? A test of regarding the direction for your life or, or maybe the direction of your career or, or maybe your education or where you live or, or a marital struggle or a relationship fallout with someone you care for and you're questioning God's care for you like, Lord, why are you allowing me to go through all these things? And you're struggling and the enemy's trying to feed off of the doubt in your mind and he's causing you to do things that you or say things that you would have never done in the past, but somehow, somewhere, you're, you're dealing with that, and, and your patience is running thin this morning. Third, what area of your life are you doubting God to do for you, for you right now? What area of your life are you doubting God to do for you right now? You've lost faith that he will truly take care of you in, in this specific area of your life. I want to encourage you, friends, to repent, to cry out to God, and allow God's angels to keep charge over you to keep charge over you. You know that there are angels that are assigned to protect you. And there's times that we've, yesterday I was, I was, I was driving, I can't even remember, well, I was driving to an event last night that I, I needed to go to. And probably about a minute before I got there, there was a three-car pileup, there was a three-car crash. And I thought to myself, you know, if I would have left a little earlier and I was like, I need to leave a little earlier. But, but somehow, I, I believe God's angels were keeping charge over me because I, I could have been in that pileup. And every day that we go through life, God, friends, God's angels are keeping charge over you. And that's what he wants to do. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Trust in God, even in your desert, even in your wilderness. And finally, have you traded the, the important for what's immediate? Maybe you've, you've fallen into sin, you've fallen into temptations or whatever it may be, and you've taken shortcuts in your character to, to focus more on your reputation And you want God to give you the strength to focus on that which is eternal more than that which is temporal. And you're in this room this morning. You're saying, you know, Pastor, I've I've traded 
what's important for what's immediate. And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm being held by this habitual sin and, and I, I need breakthrough. I need, I need God to deliver me. I believe he can because the battle is, is the Lord's and we give it to him. He wants to fight our battles. He wants to see us through those battles and those circumstances. So-